All right, wasn't that awesome of worship time tonight? I mean, I tell you, I, um, I, I look at, uh, oh, thank you. I look at Munya there. We, we want to get him over here sometime. This guy is, is really amazing. He, uh, like they said in the video, they, they, they sent him out by himself to Zimbabwe. And uh, on his own, he has started 1,300 house churches. Think of, our, think of a small group where the, you've got maybe, you know, five or ten people, a little bit 15 people meeting in a house, and he's responsible for starting 1,300, working by himself and uh, raising up young men. And, and I, I see people like that, and I'll, I'm just going to be honest with you here for a moment. I've, I've always been amazed at Christians who can't come out and pray they can't worship and seek God. They don't really understand and appreciate the presence and power of God in their lives. And I see a guy like Munya, who's just on fire for God and single-handedly beginning to have a, a, a significant impact in that nation. And I, we, we, I tell you, we need that kind of faith to ignite our hearts and get a hold of our lives and, and really make a difference in our lives. Amen? Really make, make our lives count for God. Do something of value for the Lord, because how many know he did something of value for you, right? Now, just before I start uh, this evening, we're going to talk on the faith of a biblical giver, and I just want to mention a, a, a few things uh, ahead, just before I start. Now, the end of June was going to be our, our final goal, our final time for receiving building fund pledges. And I just want to encourage you that if you made a pledge and uh, you haven't uh, uh, put it in yet, you haven't given it yet, we want to encourage you to do that, to, um, to, to give the pledge. And you know, the, the, the more we can have come in, the faster we'll get that building paid off. We'll have a lower mortgage. We'll get it paid off quicker. So I want to encourage you to be faithful to that. Take that step of faith, put your trust in God, and you know, if you made the, the pledge, come on through with it. I'll tell you, so far, here's some really good information. Um, 442,000 was pledged, and of those pledges, we had a little bit extra come in that wasn't pledged uh, initially. We're up to 419,000 of that 442, which is really excellent. So I want to encourage you, if you made a pledge, but you haven't completed it yet, do your very best to finish it off as quickly as you can. And also the total amount that has come in because other people came along and they put money in without making a pledge. And the actual total amount we're up to so far is $469,000. And uh, that's excellent, but I just want to encourage you. If you made the pledge, be faithful, trust God, you know, put your, put your faith in the Lord. Don't look at your circumstances. Don't look at people. And um, um, if you haven't made a pledge, if you're newer to the church or maybe you didn't make a pledge, it's, it's not too late to do something to help with the building of this campus. We're, we're believing God. We're not just building a building. We're believing God we're going to impact our city in a greater way. And uh, that's why we're doing it. So I want to also remind you that you can give online your tithes, your offerings, the pledges. You can do it online through our, our app that we have. You can give through the, uh, the app as well. And um, uh, that way, for, whether it's the pledges or whatever it may be, if you miss a service, go on vacation, if there's a storm or something, um, uh, in this day and age, there's never an excuse to miss. Never an excuse to, to miss being faithful, okay? Now, we're going to talk about the faith of a biblical giver, and I want to let you know before I begin that the principles I'm going to talk about tonight, they apply to any area of your life. 
I'm going to zero in on giving. I spoke on, on giving and breaking a spirit of covetousness a couple of weeks ago. And then we had Brad Robin do the uh, financial seminar for us that I encourage you to take advantage of stuff like that. Brad did a great job uh, giving you great information to help get your finances in order and, and, and handle your money more wisely. So we're going to finish this, uh, this time frame uh, talking about the faith of a biblical giver, but these principles apply to life, not just giving. The faith principles apply across the board. Now, I want us to read James chapter 2. We're going to read starting at verse 14. James chapter 2, 14 to 24. And I'm going to read it up on the screen, I think. James 14, I'm sorry, James um, 2, 14 to 24. I think I threw them off. I didn't tell them about this one. Here we go. It says, now what good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, goodbye and have a good day, stay warm and well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough unless it produces good deeds. Okay, you lost me. Now, good deeds, it is dead and useless. Now, someone may argue, some people have faith, Others have good deeds, but I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God, good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that without good deeds, uh, faith without good deeds is useless? Don't you remember that your uh, ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar. You see, his faith and actions worked together. His actions made his faith complete. And so it happened, just as the scripture says, Abraham believed God and God counted it to him as righteousness because of his faith. He was even called the friend of God. So you see, we are shown uh, to be right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. You know, I've talked to people over the years, sometimes people will say something to me you know, about having great faith, but they don't act on it. You see, if faith doesn't change your life, it isn't faith. Right. See, faith is a verb. Faith is an action word. Faith is something you do. Did you notice in that passage, it said, the demons believe in God himself. And that's not helping them. It's not what you believe, it's what you act on. Faith causes your life to change. And we're going to see today in the area of finances, but like I said, it affects um, so much of our lives. Faith brings a transformation to our lives. And, and when we, if we don't act on it, it's really just a, something we say we believe. But true faith is something you, because you believe it, you then act on it because God said it. You're trusting him. You want to develop a life of faith and, and, and a life that's pleasing to the Lord. Now, Romans 14, uh, 4 verse 17 says, God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which be not uh, exist as though they did. See, when we obey God by faith, it releases the creative, transforming power of God in our lives. Faith is a, faith is a, a life thing. Faith is life-giving when we act on it. 
So like just saying you believe isn't enough, but when you act on it, a transformation takes place. I want you to understand this. I got saved back in 1973, and when I became a Christian, my life today is radically different than it was the day I became a Christian. And most of you can say the same thing. Because as you learn to live with God, there's a, there's a transformation, there's a supernatural thing that God begins to do in your life, and he replaces that thing that used to be you and what you depended on and what you relied on, and it's changed into what you're believing God for. It's changed to scripture. It's changed. As you obey God in a simple thing like raising your hands and worshiping, you get transformed by the power of worship. But you can say you believe in worship, but if you never worship, you'll never experience the transforming power of God in worship. Do you see the principle? Faith is creative. Faith is, it releases the power, the blessing of God comes into your life, and you start to become a different person. That's why you can't serve God out of intellect. That's an understanding of God, but it will never bring about a life change. Faith is an action word that will cause us to live differently, that then brings a transformation in who we are as people. Now, I want to give you eight signs of faith of a biblical believer. Eight signs that when it grips your heart, when, when living by faith grips your heart in the area of finances, but like I say, it, 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 it covers more than just finance, it's life. But eight signs that happen to people who develop faith where they trust God with their finances and they learn to be tithers and givers and, and they get free from the covetousness and, and, and the love of money. The first one is uh, un, uh, they become unselfish. Genesis uh, 13, 5 to 11. Now, we're not going to read it for time's sake. We're going to read some others as we go along. Um, you can follow along in the, in the church app. You can follow the notes in the church app, and all the scriptures are there. And I would encourage you, actually, I hope you sit down at least sometimes and look at the scriptures that are in the notes and see if God speaks things to you and, and let it come alive to you and let him minister to you from some of the scriptures that are in the different messages you know, a, a, a person who, who's living by faith, one, one of the things a, a biblical giver who's learned to live by faith, they become unselfish. They're, they're, they're less selfish. I believe, I've been, I've been, I got saved, like I said, back in 1973. I've been involved in church life for, for a few decades now. And uh, I've come to the conclusion that I believe selfishness is the biggest curse in the body of Christ. The thing that the enemy takes advantage of the most is people's selfishness. The things that holds people back the most is people's selfishness. The number of people I've watched over the years, they come to church and they say they're Christians and they say they're serving God, but the reality is they have a mindset where God is taking care of them. They're not doing much for God. God is looking after them because everything is about them. They're, they're just self-consumed and, and selfishness, I believe, is, if selfishness ever got broken, broken in the body of Christ, the church would transform the world. But we get self-consumed. Now, in Genesis chapter 12, we're not going to read that passage that I, that I mentioned in 13, but in Genesis chapter 12, God made a promise to Abraham. Is there a bottle of water around here? That's not going to work too good. Oh, thank you, Vito. Do you mind taking that away for me? Thanks. God made a promise to Abraham. He promised him two things. He made a covenant. You know what a covenant is? When God 
makes a promise and he says, I'll never go back on it. That's what a covenant is. He made a covenant with Abraham and he said, uh, Abraham, I'm going to give you a new land. You're going to have a new land that you've never seen before. I'm going to lead you to a new place, take you to a new land. And I'm going to make a nation out of you. And one time he took Abraham and he said, look up at the stars. You know when you get out of the city and you get away from the city lights and you get out to the country or out into the, go up into northern Ontario and you, and you get out. I remember one time I went up northern Ontario, got in a canoe and sat out on a canoe and the northern lights came out and they were flashing all through the sky and you can see the stars, they go right down to the horizon and you know, you get out there, you can see it all. God took Abraham out, said, look up at the, uh, at the stars. He said, Abraham, that's what your descendants are going to be like like the stars in the heavens. That's what your descendants are going to be like. He said, look at the sand that's on the seashore, Abraham. That's what your descendants are going to be like, like the sand of the sea. So God made this promise to Abraham for a land and for a nation. It was going to be given to him. Now, in Genesis 13, the passage that I, I mentioned, he reaches the new land. Now, when he left the land that he was in. He took his family and all of his herds and flocks and uh, his nephew Lot joined him and Lot had herds and flocks and, and they went to the new land and as they got in the new land, they, they settled in this, in this new land that, that God had led them to and the herdsmen, it said, of Abraham and Lot, they weren't getting along too well because there wasn't enough space for, the, for, the, for both of them. And Abraham went to Lot, and he said, look, this isn't really working out too, too well. Here, here's what we'll do. Now, Lot's his nephew. He says, here's what we'll do. You take a look around, and you pick out whatever you want to take, just as far as you can see. You just take a look at this land. You take the part you want. If you go that way, I'll go that way. If you go that way, I'll go that way. You take the land. And you see what he was doing? He was, he was honoring his nephew, it says over in Romans 12, verse 10, in honor, preferring one another. You know something selfish people rarely do is honor other people. Rarely. Because they're so self-consumed. They're often so insecure. They won't honor others. It's always looking out for themselves. But now keep this in mind. Abraham says to his nephew, you choose the land that you want, and I'll go the other way, and I'll settle whatever, whatever is left over. I'll take it. Now, look at the spirit he had in honoring his nephew, and I want you to keep something in mind. The promise was to Abraham. It wasn't to Lot. The promise for the land was to Abraham. But Abraham was ready to honor his nephew and give his nephew first choice, and he believed that whatever's left over, that's good enough. God will make whatever is left over what God has for him, and he'll be able to settle and live in that land in honoring the other, taking care of the other, looking out for the welfare of his nephew. You know, unselfish people tend to, uh, tend to be more mature people. And that's why unselfish people can get something done because Jesus called us to lay down our lives and be servants, right? Pick up your cross and follow me. Deny yourself, right? All these things, the servant is greater than than the rest. As a matter of fact, the only way you can really serve and be successful in the kingdom of God is learning to be a servant. And Abraham had that spirit. You see, see, I've watched for years, mature people are immature people. They just get self-consumed where mature people look out for others. And a simple example is this. When you're a little child and it's Christmas morning, what do you do? 
You make a beeline for that tree. If anybody's in your way, you run them over. Because you want to get to those gifts and start ripping the, the, the paper off and see what's there. What, what, are the, what do mature people do? They sit back and they say, okay, why don't you open your gift now? Now, why don't you open yours? You open yours. Here, I'll open one now. See, they, they can honor others. They can put others first. It isn't the immaturity you see in children, but unfortunately, the number of adults that never get over selfishness, I find it to be staggering, especially those who call themselves Christians. I find it to be dumbfounding. So one of the things you'll find when you live by faith and you learn to get free and be able to give your money liberally and give your life liberally, you will find that you conquer selfishness in your life. A second thing that happens is you see God as the source. The faith of a a biblical giver sees God as the source. Again, for time, I'm not going to read this passage, but Genesis 14, 17 to 24, we're going to talk about it a bit. See, Abraham, they'd settled now. They'd gone their separate ways. And then word came from one of Lot's servants that Lot has, has been taken captive by the enemy. The enemy came in and swooped down, and, uh, and, and, he's, and they've taken Lot captive. Now, it says this in, in, um, in Genesis 14, not the exact passage we, we read, but what I want you to see is when Abraham heard this, what he did, it says he took 300, his 318 servants trained in his own house and went and rescued Lot. Now, there's a great principle there about being trained in your own house. When you get people trained in your, you know the body of Christ. You know what my job is? To equip you for the work of the ministry. It's not to do that. You know, a, lot of, a lot of churches, it's the pastor and a handful of, of staff people. They do everything. They put on the show all the time. And the, and the more meaningless, simple, less significant things are given to people to do. But the Bible says, you're the minister. You're the one that's functioning. You're the one. My job is to train you and develop you. There's the, the, one of the greatest principles in Scripture is to raise up people in your own house that have your own heart, your own DNA, because you'll be able to change the city you're in. Get those. And so Abraham had those that Abraham had trained. Abraham had equipped. Abraham had them ready, and they went, and they rescued Lot. Now, coming back after the battle from rescuing Lot, in Genesis 14, 18 and 19, it says this. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of of God Most High, possession of heaven and earth. And blessed be the God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he gave him a tithe of all. The word tithe means a tenth. So tithing, the Bible talks about tithing all through the Bible. Jesus talked about it. It's all through the New Testament, Old Testament, that we're to tithe a tenth of our increase. But there's something interesting happened here, and I don't, I don't know if Abraham understood the, the, whole, the whole thing here, but Melchizedek, it is believed, is a manifestation of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. Because if you go and study Melchizedek, you find out he had no beginning and no end. Nobody knew anything about him. See, it's an appearance of Christ coming to Abraham. And Abraham, without anybody saying it, this is before the law. This is not the Hebrew law. This is before all the law was laid out about all the tithing and all the sacrifices and all the things they had to do. There was no law. There was really no nation right now. The nation's coming out of Abraham. There is no nation of Israel. 
And what was Abraham's immediate response? Was to give Melchizedek 10% of all the spoil that they had taken, all the increase they had won in the battle, was to give him 10%. That was his heart. That was his, his desire to do. His immediate response was to, was to, uh, to do that. He, see, he understood that God was the source. God was the one that gave him the victory. Yeah, he had trained the soldiers. Yeah, they were born in his own house. But God went out and God blessed their endeavor. And in acknowledging that blessing of God, he automatically just gave. You, you see, what we've got to get a better perspective on in our life, the Bible says all good things come from God. Anything good in your life is from God. Any unsaved person, the good in their life is from God. All good things come from God. The problem with hell is going to be is the removal of anything good. Because good only comes from God. And we need to get an appreciation and understand. You might have worked hard for it, but you want to know? God gave you the increase. God gave you the ability to work hard. So Abraham understood this, so he just automatically gave. And, and you'll find the blessing of God come into your life in different ways when you learn to put God first and you learn to trust him and you learn to do it God's way, you'll, you'll look to God as your source. Yeah, we got to work and we've got to put in our time and try to get better educated, get good jobs, whatever the case may be. But God is the one that gives us the ability to do it. The Bible says God is the one who enables us to breathe. So we develop a spirit of gratitude, seeing that, that God is the source of our life. And whether it's my time, my talent, my, my attitude toward people, my money, whatever it may be, I develop a generous spirit because I realize I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for what Jesus Christ has done for me. Jesus Christ changed my life, so therefore I'm here today living the way I'm living, experiencing what I've experienced because of the goodness of God, because without the goodness of God in my life, I'd be a mess. We'd all be a mess. So we show our appreciation because we recognize God is the source of our life. The third one, a person who's understood the, the, the faith of a, bibl a biblical giver, one of the things you'll notice in people like that is they withhold nothing from God. The third one is they withhold nothing from God. Genesis 22 and 2 I think we've got it here. Now, this is really interesting. He says, take your son. Now, God's speaking to Abraham again. Take your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. Now, was God into... Uh, child executions? No. Because God can only do good. So why would he ask him to go and kill his son? He's asking, I, I could read you the whole passage, but he's asking Abraham. He's not asking, he's telling him, you take your son, you go to that land, go to that mountain, I'll show you, and you offer him as a sacrifice. Now God's not into child sacrifice, God's not into murder, and God's not into killing, killing innocent people. That's not the heart of God. We, we know that as you read the Bible. So what was he doing? Why was he asking him to, uh, to, to do that? Well, the promise, you've got to get this now, the, the, the promise of, and you can see this actually in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 to 19. The promise, remember the nation I was talking about? 
the stars of the heaven, the sand of the sea. Isaac was the seed of that promise. And in this passage here in, 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 in Hebrews, it, it, it explains it, it, it talks about it. Isaac was that promise. And God is saying to Abraham now, I want you to go and sacrifice your only son who is the seed of the promise. If he's dead, you have no promise. He is the promise. The nations are coming out of him. Now, Abraham understood something. Abraham realized uh, what was taking place. See, even though the promise was so meaningful, and his son obviously was so meaningful, and he had left his home, he had left the, the land, he, he had had this child, but a miracle had taken place that, that w- w- before they had the child, when God said, you know, I'm going to give you a child, you know what Abraham's response was? Well, 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 God, I'm too old. If you haven't noticed, Lord, those days are long gone. It ain't happening. And my wife, there's not a chance. There's not a chance. It's done. It's finished. There's no hope. That's how they responded to God. And God said, let me take care of that. And they ended up having Isaac. They were unable naturally to give birth, but supernaturally they were able to give birth because God said you're going to have a child. God said you're going to have a nation. And they were able to give birth to this child who's going to fulfill the promise that God had given to him. And then God turns around and says, I want you to go and sacrifice him. Faith sometimes is confusing. Sometimes it makes no sense. And that's when we get in these arguments with God and we try to intellectualize everything and figure it all out and, and you know, try to often step away from even acting in faith because we can't understand just why this is happening to us and what we're going through, so we, so we stop. But Abraham didn't. See, Abraham understood something. It says in that passage there that Abraham believed with all his heart that had he had to kill his son, that God would raise him from the dead. You know why he believed that? Because Isaac had already been born from the death of Abraham and Sarah. They had no chance to have a child. It couldn't be done. They knew that that child was a miracle. Without a miracle of God, we'd never have that child. And they knew that even if and out of our own human death, we were able to have that child. And if this child dies, God will raise him from the dead. That was the faith of Abraham. That was his faith. You read the story. Abraham had him all bound up, had him on the altar, and had the knife in his hand ready to come down and kill him, and the angel of the Lord stopped him. That was the faith of Abraham. God never intended to harm the child. What God was trying to do was show something to Abraham in his heart. Listen, it's very rarely about the circumstance. It's almost always about the heart. That's why sometimes you, you, you know, you ever notice some of you, you go through the same sort of things over and over and over. I'll tell you one way to get past that stuff is get a right attitude. It's about the heart. It's rarely about the thing. It's about the heart. 
And when we deal with it properly, God brings us into a new place. Into a, you know, we, we expand our boundaries. We, because all of a sudden, the heart condition that's holding us back, it gets healed by faith. It gets transformed by faith. And next thing you know, we're occupying new territory we could never occupy before because we've started to live by faith. And our life is being transformed. Could you imagine the faith that Abraham had after that? And... and and, uh, and no doubt the ministry that his son needed after that. Um, but they understood. See, God was showing Abraham, I, I can trust you. I can trust you with the promise. You're a man of faith. You're believing that with me, all things are possible. Faith is transforming. Faith will take you to a place you never dreamt you could be. Faith will just unlock things in your life and bring you to a place of satisfaction and walking with God and just a fulfillment in your life that you never dreamt you can be. Being just a religious person who comes to church leads to nothing but death. It leads to nothing but hypocrisy. But when you live by faith, you'll end up discovering all sorts of new things you never dreamt you could do. God will bless you in ways you never dreamt, uh, dreamt he could bless you when you begin to live by faith. The fourth one is Sacrificial giving. The faith of a biblical giver gives sacrificially. We just saw that with uh, Abraham and, and uh, Isaac there. He was willing to sacrifice his son. He was willing to, to give sacrificially. Now, Mark chapter um, 12, four, uh, 41 to 44, is it there? I love this because when you read this, you're going to see that Jesus is watching their giving. Okay, you got to love it. He's, you know, they're bringing in, in, in the offering. He's standing looking at what, what they're giving is what's going on here. This, this is cool. He says, he sat down near the collection box in the temple, and he watched as the crowds dropped in their money. Many rich people put in large amounts. Then a poor widow came and dropped in two small coins. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, come here, guys. Come here. You've got to see something. Come here. He says, I tell you the truth. This poor widow has given more than all the others who are making contributions, for they gave a tiny part out of their surplus, but she, poor, and as poor as she is, has given everything she had to live on. He said, guys, come here. Look at here. Look. Look at these people, the money they've put in. Look at these guys, these guys with the money, and look at what they're putting in. It looks good, doesn't it? But look at that little widow woman there. Listen, I, I, I want a church full of widows. Widow woman spirit. Widow woman faith. You see? Widow woman. He, he looked at it and said, it isn't about the money. It's about the heart. I hear people, well, the church is only after your money. No, God wants to transform your heart. It's always about the heart. He said, oh, they're giving. That's good that they're giving, but look at this woman. She just gave it all. I want to meet her in heaven. We know that she was a widow. We know she didn't have much, and that we know she gave it all. See, sacrificial giving, I believe, is the greatest form of giving. I believe it releases the blessing of God. 
It releases the hand of God in your life in a way that maybe other giving doesn't. God sees the heart condition. God sees the, the situation you're in. God sees what you're going through, and you're willing to give sacrificially. You're willing to put in your tithe on a regular basis sacrificially. You're willing to give an offering or to the building fund sacrificially. Listen, God takes note of that. My wife and I, I tell you, we found over the years, and I don't know what God has done with you, and each one of you would have different stories. I, I know you would. But for some reason, I've noticed in our lives, in our married lives over the years, God has been very good to us in the, in the realm of houses to live in. We just kept on, like for four houses, five houses in a row, we just got a great deal to buy it, a great deal to sell it. We got into houses way lower than what they were worth. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm living right now in something I shouldn't be living in. It's just been the favor of God over 30 years of serving God. He just opened the door in different ways, made a way where there was no way. I've seen it over and over. So I don't know what God's done with you, but I know he'll do something with you what's good for you. God will take care of you. God will open doors for you. God will do good things for you. But sacrificial giving says, I believe God. I've made the commitment. I'm going to give to God. I'm going to serve God. I'm going to make my life count for God. And you know something? I might have to do without for the time being, but that's all right. God is going to be honored. God is going to be blessed. And that's the heart he wants from you and I. He wants us to be people that, that honor him, that bless him, that make his name great. We, we, we don't embarrass him, but rather, he, we, we, you know, he's proud of us. And we make his name stand out because people see how we're living. And God is honored from people who put him first. So they have a sacrificial heart, sacrificial uh, giving spirit. Another thing you see with people, uh, people of the faith of a, of a real biblical giver is they have extravagant giving from a deep love and appreciation. Extravagant giving from a deep love and appreciation, John chapter 12, 1 to 8. Six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man who he had raised from the dead. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. Martha served, and Lazarus was among those who ate with him. Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from, uh, made from uh, essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance. But Judas Iscariot, now, now Judas looked after the money. He was, if you will, one of Jesus' disciples. He was the treasurer. He looked after the money. Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said, that perfume is worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Right? Sounds very worthy, doesn't it? Not that he cared for the poor. He was a thief. That's what the Bible, that's how the Bible talks about him. He was a thief. And Jesus had him as the treasurer. Think about it. He was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. That's amazing. <laughs> I'm not going to say right now what I'm thinking. <laughs> he 
so he'd still say, steal it and take some for himself. Then, then Jesus replied, leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Fascinating. See, sometimes, sometimes, it's good just to get extravagant with the Lord. I mean, whether it's your money, whether it's your time, whether it's your ability. I mean, just get crazy for God. People say, well, you're, you're, kind, of, you're kind of too, you know, I remember I, we used to have one of our parents say, you're kind of overdoing it with this church thing, aren't you? Well, it's okay. We're doing fine. You, you know who always thinks you're overdoing it with the church thing? Those who aren't overdoing it. <laughs> All the time. Sometimes just cut loose and say, hey, I'm, I'm just going for it. I'm getting radical here. Yeah, I'm going to give more than I think I can, or I'm going to serve in a greater way than I think I can. I'm not talking about getting burned out and run down and, and being crazy about it. I'm just saying sometimes it's good to get extravagant because Jesus got extravagant with you. You know, the, the, the New Testament talks about tithing and the Old Testament talks about tithing. And Jesus confirmed it when he said, it's good that you tithe. He made that comment one time, it's good that you tithe. You're doing a good thing. But you know what the Bible, you know what the New Testament really teaches? Is give it all. People say, well, tithing's under the law. Okay, don't do it under the law. Do it under the New Testament. It's everything. <laughs> tithing is a discount. <laughs> tithing is a break if you look at the Bible. I see people get upset sometimes about tithing, talking about money, and you want to know something? After getting saved, the junk that you got delivered from and the money you're saving from getting delivered from that junk, more than makes up for any tithe God wants you to give them. I said, the devil's just a, you know, he's strange and he says things to us and we start believing it and we act on it. And, but sometimes, I'll tell you, just put your faith and your trust in God and once in a while. You notice none of the other disciples got upset because Judas was the one saying, man, I could have had access to some of this. I could have used some of that for myself. Judas is the one that turned him in for 30 pieces of silver. He loved money more than the Lord. And he's criticizing this woman because she just got extravagant for a minute here. Sometimes it's good just to get radical for the Lord. Matter of fact, my wife and I have talked, you know, different times we say Christians that you look at them, you say, boy, they're radical. They're really on fire for God. I believe, it's our conviction, this is how we've always lived. We believe that radical Christianity is Christianity. Lukewarm Christianity, you're walking on thin, thin ice, and I'm going to do a message on that sometime in the, in the fall that I know will shake some of you up, I guarantee it. Lukewarm Christianity is a dangerous way to live your life. Radical, I believe. You look in. The, you don't see the disciples weren't lukewarm people. Every one of his disciples, except one, ended up living, uh, dying a violent death because of their faith. These are radical people saying, "Get out of my way! I'm being extravagant for the Lord. Nothing's going to stop me." And I look at Christians today won't come to church because they got to take a bus. I'm moving on. Don't worry about it. <laughs> And then one day we're going to stand before the Lord and say, oh, you know how much I love you. I know the bus was such an inconvenient for you. <laughs> Move on, Bob. 
Give your best. Another thing, the attitude, the faith of a biblical giver is they give their best. Exodus chapter 12 and verse 5. He's talking about the sacrifices they had to make in the Old Testament. He said, the animal you select must be a one-year-old male, either sheep or goat, with no defects. You know, the nation of Israel started to do, as time went by, they gave the blind and the decrepit animals as a sacrifice, and God gave it to them as a result. Give your best animal. Now, take a look over here. Where am I? Um, um, was that, that's uh, Exodus 12 there? 1 Peter 1, 19. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. God expects us to give him his best. Do you know why? He gave us his best. He gave the sinless, spotless Son of God as a sacrifice for you and I so you and I could get free from sin, we could get free from bondage, we could get free from all kinds of stuff so we could live a victorious life so that we could serve God victoriously, end up going to heaven and have an eternity with God. He gave his very best. Don't you think sometimes we ought to be trying to give God our best? Don't just, you know, put some little thing in and kind of, you know, just, oh, it's not convenient for me, so I'm not going to do it, or I'm too tired today, or had a late night, or had a bad day, or whatever. Listen, give God your best. He gave us his best, and he, he's, looking, he's looking. He pays attention, like the offering plate. He's looking. He sees what we're doing. He sees how we live. So, so sometimes it's good just to give him your best. Keep in mind, keep in mind, Scripture says, as a person sows, they will reap. So if we sow to corruption, sow to the flesh, we reap corruption. Sow to the spirit, we reap life. You sow little, you reap little. There's not a farmer in the world. There is not a farmer in the world that will plant one row of seeds but expect 20 acres of harvest. Only Christians think that way. Nobody in their right mind would think that way, but Christians do it all the time because they have a misunderstanding of God. And the Bible also says, God himself said, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. They don't understand me. And because they don't understand me, they do things they shouldn't do. And then I'm going to act according to my word, but they don't understand my word. You with me there? I know I'm challenging you a little bit, but look, I, I've watched so much of this stuff over the years. The number of Christians that treat God like he's a genie in a bottle. And they expect him, whenever they have a need, they expect him to come running. Yes, master, what can I do for you? That's not how it works. We're the servants. He's the master. Right? Another thing that uh, the faith of a biblical giver is they give the first. Proverbs 3, verse 9 says, Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruit of your increase. The first fruit. See, God wants us to put him first. Again, it's, it's, th think of it for a moment. Th think of it for, for a moment. He's saying, when you get paid, take your tithe out of that and give me a tithe. Look at there. I think Siri just came on. I love technology, don't you? He says, when you get paid, <clears throat> don't set it aside and you look at, put off all your money, all your money, all for you, all for you, all for you, and then what's left over, give to me. 
He says, give me the first. Put me first in your life. Again, it's a hard thing. It's a hard thing. Put me first. God says, I want you to learn how to be a tither and not a tipper. Put me first. Put me first. Put, give me your best. Give me your first. Let me be number one in your life. If you want the, the best experience of walking with me, learn to live by faith. Learn to do these things. So honor the Lord with the, the first the first of you. You see, it honors God. It's God honoring when you faithfully come in, and, and whether it's serving or giving, whatever it may be, you faithfully do it. I believe that. I, honestly, listen, I'm just telling you what I believe tonight. I'm not trying to pick on anybody. I'm telling you what I believe the Bible teaches. I think God takes great delight in those who show up and they seek God for 20 minutes where I have pre-service prayer to set the tone and set the atmosphere. I think God notices. I think he pays attention and he's watching. And he, and he responds to that kind of faith attitude, that kind of hunger and desire to meet God and honor God and to help to prepare an atmosphere where the Spirit of God can move in a greater way because our hearts are right and the atmosphere is right for God to do something great. He doesn't want us to be religious people. Honor the Lord with the first of your possession. Give the first of your livestock. My wife and I, I know many of you, I know many of you, you've made the habit of saying, um, first thing we do, we, we, we've done this for decades, we get a paycheck and uh, budget or no budget, however you do things, the first thing you do is set aside the tithe, set aside the offering, whatever you're doing, and you live on the rest, live on the rest. And then you, you adjust your lifestyle according to that, but you know, you got delivered from so much stuff, you got more money than you ever dreamt you had. Right? You look at all, this, all, all the stuff you're spending on, 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 on uh, you know, pornography and drugs and, and, and alcohol and riotous living and crazy things and excessive stuff, then you got delivered from it all. That's way more than a tenth of your income, trust me. Way more. So honor the Lord. Put the Lord first. Honor him because of the great thing. How many know he's done a great thing in your life? It is an awesome thing that he's done. You have become a child of God. You have, a, you have an inheritance in heaven because of what Jesus did for us. So surely, as we become people who live by faith, these principles will start to grip our heart. You see, what happens, it begins to change who we are. I'm, I'm laying this out to try to show you, this is what I've watched over years, the faith of a, bib, a biblical giver. This is how they tend to live their life. This is what they learn to do because their life gets transformed because they're acting on their faith. They're not just talking about their faith. The final one is to give consistently. Malachi 3 and verse 10. It says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have room enough to take it, uh, take it in. Try it, put me to the test. God's even challenging us there. Put them first. Put in your tithe. Put in your offering. Live that generous, extravagant lifestyle. Be consistent with it. Make it a habit. Make it something habitual that you do. Be consistent with it. Bring it in. And you watch the favor of God, how it begins to move in. Move in. I've heard story after story after story over the years of people, as they've learned to tithe, how God's moved on their behalf and done some amazing things. 
It happened time after time after time after time after time how God begins to do things that he wasn't doing before. Because it's not about the money, it's about the heart. It's always about the heart. So if, you're, if you see what I'm getting at, these are principles I've watched people live by. This is when people learn to live by faith and they become generous with their time. They become generous with their money. They become generous with their spirit toward God and what God wants. These are the sort of things that they embrace in their life and this is how they tend to live. And I would encourage every one of you, every one of you, that this is a great way to learn to live your life. Now, most of you have. You've learned to do this. I, I, I've, I've, I've watched it. But if you're newer or you haven't, I want to encourage you tonight, learn to get the victory, especially over your money, by exercising faith. God's ways are better than our ways. His, his ways are higher than our ways. We can't understand his ways. But his ways are better. His ways work. How many found that his ways work? Come on, they work. It's not always easy, it's not always comfortable, it's not always convenient, but it works. And your life gets better and better and better as you learn to do it God's way. Can I get the, 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 the band up here, please? I know I didn't give any warning, so can I do this? Can we surprise you like this? <clears throat> Just before we, we close with this song, I'd, I'd like to do that one uh, right at the end we were singing, uh, There's None Like You, right? I don't know if that's what it's called or not. Listen, how many, how many, how many realize that, that God's got something greater for you than what you're experiencing right now? Three of you. He really does. He's got something greater than what you're experiencing right now. And that gets released as we trust him. The Bible says signs follow those that believe. It's not the signs and then the belief. It's the belief and then the signs. Signs follow the believer. Good things happen to those who believe. If, if it's in your heart to want to please God and just be more generous, I don't care if it's your time, your tithing, your money, whatever it may be. If you just want to be more generous and develop more of a faith attitude toward God, I just want you to stand up right where you are. If you want to have more of a faith attitude toward God using your time, money, your gifts and abilities that he's given you. And I'd like you to reach your hands out to the Lord. We're just going to take a moment and pray. <clears throat>